My biggest fear would be when the first comes and I don't get the rent. I found that my tenant had dumped concrete down my toilet. Can you believe Fair Housing fined me $5,000 for that? How do you onboard your tenants? What do you do? I don't even know if I do it right. If you're a landlord, don't just rent, rent perfect. The Rent Perfect Podcast with property expert and private investigator, David Pickron. Well, hello. Today we are talking Section 8 housing and possibly how going into kind of a down market, if it's good or bad. We're glad you joined us. Jake Beeson here with us today. Jake, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me. I love having you on this topic. You do so much Section 8 and you do so much regular rentals. I love that you know the difference. You have the stories. You have the experience. Thanks for joining us on here today. Go ahead and subscribe. Uh, We've got a lot of good stuff coming your way. But I mean... There are so many of our clients who love Section 8, and in the very same room, there's a bunch that are like, I'm never doing Section 8. In fact, in the comments of this podcast, you're going to see people pro and against, and and there are good to it, and there are bad. It just all depends um, your situation. So I want to go through investors' situations, maybe with the properties they have, where they're at, what they're looking for, taking into account that I think we're having a little bit of a slide in this economy. And I really want to dissect Section 8 to say, is this a good move for investors right now across the United States? Now, Jake is here in Arizona. You have history with the Phoenix Section 8, Mesa Section 8. Um, But every Section 8 is run by a different municipality, correct? Yeah, my experience is each municipality has a certain chunk of money that they use for Section 8. So if you have a property in the city of Mesa, for example, you're going to deal with Mesa Section 8. Okay. So Mesa Section 8 could run better than Phoenix Section 8 because likewise New York Section 8 or, you know, Section 8 in Michigan Absolutely. could run a little bit different. So yep. we're going we're gonna to take Jake and pick, pick his brain with Arizona Section 8 municipalities. It might be a little bit different across the United States. So you'll have to have to figure that out. And the program is a federal program. So right. many of the rules are going to be the same across the country. Each state obviously has their own landlord-tenant laws, and so that will kind of weave into how the program is administered. But generally speaking, the program administration will be the same, I would guess, across the country because it's a federal program. So let I'm going to get your angle on this. You do both. Yep. Do you like Section 8? I do. Okay. Um, you uh, Not everybody does. Why, why do you think everybody... Some, why are people afraid of Section 8, do you think? The biggest... Uh, conception that's out there, whether it's a misconception or not, other people can decide, is that your houses are going to get beat up and you're going to get worse tenants through Section 8, pound for pound. Okay. I have not had that experience. Okay. Yeah, because that's that's my mindset, right, in, in having the rentals I have. So, But let's start out, let's talk about the really good things about Section 8, and then we'll maybe bring in the, the little bit of struggles and see okay. if we can get through those. So what, tell me, what do you think the top five things, it's a lot to ask, do you love about Section 8? Well, the first thing you hear about Section 8, and this has been uh, maybe an old wives' tale out there for a long time, is the money is good, meaning you're going to get your payments, and you are. That's true. But am I going to get full market value payments, or am I going to get this discounted? You're going to get full market value in a down market or maybe in a normal market. Section 8 typically pays a little higher than market. You'll get a few more bucks in rent on Section 8 because what they do is they decide, okay, in your market, a three-bedroom house should be this much. And... 
I don't know how they get those numbers. I have no idea. I'm guessing they have to take some sort of market average. They probably have an army of government economists back in Washington, D.C. that study the Phoenix right. rental market and say, okay, across the market, the Phoenix market should be this much money. Well, remember, the Phoenix market has some maybe rough areas in Phoenix, but it also has Scottsdale, right. Paradise Valley, Ahwatukee, south right. edge of Chandler. There's a lot of nice places in Phoenix that also figure into those numbers. So whenever the numbers get updated, uh, some of the numbers we use get updated in April by the federal government, and those numbers always go up, and they're always pretty competitive numbers. Now, right now, this moment, call it May of 2022, rental prices everywhere are very high. Okay. So today, if you went to Section 8, Section 8's rents would be lower than what you'd get in the open market. However, the money's good. Okay. The federal government's going to send you your money every month on time. So say on average $2,200 a month in market right now in May, what would you get for that equivalent under Section 8? Oh, I don't know, but I would guess it'd be closer to like maybe 1400 It could be way below because the Phoenix market has gone up so dramatically in the past couple of years. Okay. So but they're a little bit delayed. They're going after the comps from last year. Yeah, my guess is they probably only do it once a year, and probably okay. now they're pretty far behind. Okay. So and once you start a contract with Section 8, it doesn't adjust as you go. It is locked in for the year, kind of like a lease. Yep, for the year. And for then the you year. can ask for an increase the following year, and typically they'll give you a little bit of an increase. Sometimes they will not, just depending on the economy. I've seen both. So in a down economy or down market where you think rents are going to start to slide, you would like to lock in that bigger number to have that for the next year. Absolutely. If you think rental prices are going down, you'll get paid the last year's kind of comp. Absolutely. Okay. And our and our experience has been that um, tenants who are using Section 8 vouchers don't move as often as tenants who are not on vouchers. Meaning if you have a tenant move in that has a voucher and you treat them right, you know, fix things that are broken, answer their phone calls, address the issues, uh, they'll stay forever. Well, it's hard for them to find a Section 8 housing provider. These correct? days, very hard, yeah. Very hard. So once they find, they're like, we're, we are staying put. Yep. Okay. And moving's expensive. And you're talking about folks that in many cases are on a limited income for one reason or another, and moving's expensive. Right. And just to, just to be really clear about this, you're at $1,400 off of last year's comps. You renew your year lease this year. It goes up to 1800 this year. You're sitting at that 1800 this year. It depends on what the federal government allocates for that house. So the okay. federal government's going to put out a number that says, well, we believe that in the Phoenix Mesa Scottsdale submarket, a three-bedroom, two-bath house should go for 1400 And I don't know when that number comes out with Section 8. Let's say okay. it's April. When they change that number, April of next year, we believe that the Mesa Phoenix Scottsdale submarket, three-bedroom, two-bath, is now 1600 Okay. Well, you can charge 1600 You can have that increase if you want, but you can't really go to 1800 because the government has said this is the rent that we will pay on that property, and they don't like you going outside that and saying, okay, hey, Mr. Tenant, government's going to give me sixteen. You got to give me another two. That's illegal. They're not going to buy that. You can't do that. No. Okay. All righty. But you have the option to say, you know what, government, I think it's worth way more than 1600 so I am going to choose not to continue this Section 8 relationship. Absolutely. Okay, so it does give you a little flexibility on a year-to-year -year basis to yeah, back out of the program if you want to. And your individual lease agreement will have provisions for that. It'll say, hey, when you know, within 30 days of the lease term ending, you know, landlord shall notify tenant of non-renewal or something like that. So is there a good time of the year to, to jump into Section 8 if they're every year, say, and I don't know that it's April or it's May. Is there a good time of the year that's better to get have 
this information fresh and new before your lease ends or, you know, because kind of October to October, say if they did the evaluations in April, is different than May to May. In Absolutely. I would say get with your local Section 8 office. They now call it a housing choice voucher, but it usually will be through the housing department of your municipality. Okay. So, for example, call the Houston Housing Department and say, hey, can I talk to somebody about Section 8? Or now they call it housing choice voucher, but okay. people that have been around still call it Section 8. Okay. And just get that information. Okay. And usually you can see it on their website and then ask them, hey, how often is this evaluated? Is there an increase coming? And then you would know. But yeah, given the choice, you may want to grab it right when the increase happens, knowing that on that one-year lease, you'll be lined up for an increase if there is one a year right. from now. I like it. Perfect. So um, so I imagine then if there's a shortage of Section 8 in most jurisdictions, it's, Absolutely. it's easy to find tenants. Correct. The There are a certain number of vouchers they, that, that they have out there. There's a certain number of spots in Section 8 that the government provides for. And then there's a waiting list. And when you're in the Section 8 game, you'll hear people talk about being on the waiting list or they have a voucher, or they've lost their voucher, and they have to go to the bottom of the waiting list. So there's a finite number of Section 8 vouchers out there. Okay. And right now, because market rents are so high and landlords, frankly, can be more selective in who they rent to, the voucher recipients, the voucher holders, are getting squeezed. There are not enough homes for the voucher recipients. Right. Um, so if you put in your advertising, hey, Section 8 welcome. We'll take housing choice vouchers. There are also the USDA has a voucher program. Um, a big one right now is called HUD-VASH, okay. which is Housing and Urban Development. VASH is a Veterans Administration program where they're providing housing vouchers for veterans, which is wonderful. Those are out there as well. So if you chose to say, hey, I'm going to take one of my properties and use it for a voucher recipient, or I've got you know four properties, I'm going to do two and two, this would be a great time to do it. Um, there's also several websites. One of them is called, I think it's called socialserve.net or socialserve.com where you can advertise specifically to folks that have vouchers. Go Section 8 is another huge one. Okay. Go Section 8.com is specifically for families that hold vouchers and you can advertise your properties there and our phone rings nonstop when we have properties on Go Section 8. And Jake, this might be a legal question. Maybe you might punt on this one, but can I take the VASH program, the veterans program, but not the Section 8 programs? Or once I open my property up to voucher, do I have to take all vouchers? I don't know that, but I would I would guess that you could if you only wanted to work with HUD VASH because it's it's a different it's a different set of people. Okay. Meaning the the folks running the HUD different program. Different, different program, everything. different administration, you know, it might be in a different office building. Okay. So like for example, just off the top of my head, we've dealt with HUD VASH here in mm -hmm. Phoenix. They're great. We've really liked getting, we, we've gotten along with them great. Professional right. people, they really care. Um, if I had to choose, I would choose to do business with them as opposed to maybe the regular Phoenix Section 8 office, although the people we've dealt with there have been great. HUD Vash seems to maybe have it a little more together. That's right. just one man's experience, but right. I don't know if you can say, well, we like this voucher, but we don't like this one, but they have different features right. too, so... Well, on a side note, this is nationwide. So there are there are places out there that have source of income as a protected class. And so when you have that rule on the books with the your current cities or legislatures, you you cannot, um, you know, make that choice. You money is is protected now where it comes from. And if you got the money, you got the money. If you don't, you don't. And so um, we have a source of income. Uh, protection kind of going on down in Tucson, Arizona right now, which Arizona's, we're not used to, to all that, but, uh, you know, we'll see that. So there, I think there's 24 jurisdictions around the country that our source of income is protected now. And all that's going to do, I think, is, and I'm not going to say that's a good or bad thing, 
this is not the time or the place for that, but it is going to force you to be a better manager. You're going to have to do a better job being a steward of your assets. Yeah. Meaning you're going to have to, you have to do a better job. You have to step it up, which is now it doesn't more hurt inspections. Any, it doesn't closer hurt to the property. It doesn't hurt anybody to be a better landlord. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So what about, what about if I'm just trying to figure out, is there a relationship with me in section eight with me and the tenant or with me and the government? So say the tenant moves in a dog and the lease says no dog. Do I go to the tenant to take care of the problem or do I say, Hey government, you know, my kind of deal is with you. You need to get rid of the dog. How does that work? Well, like any relationship, obviously it's better when there's three people making decisions, right? <laughs> Works really well. Um, but the way you described it is exactly right. The The way it actually works is you have a deal with the tenant. However, in addition to that deal with the tenant, the government is paying the rent or a lot of the rent. So they get involved as well. So you'll have your regular lease and then the government will tack on a HUD contract, which is like another nine or 10 or 12 pages, which you have to agree to, or they won't pay you your money. And so, you know, by your example, that's a great example. The tenants not following the rules and just for ease, let's say they moved in an unauthorized pet or they're smoking in your property and your lease says no smoking, which you're allowed to say, or they move an extra person in, you know, someone you don't know, which they're not allowed to do under the terms of the lease. Right. Um, you still are required to deal directly with the tenant because they're the tenant. However, all of that correspondence gets copied over to Section 8. In Arizona, we're required to serve the same documents to Section 8 because they're a party to that three-way contract. There is a little bit of, um, let's say, case management. Okay. So sometimes the Section 8 caseworker, depending on who it is, will be a little more or less proactive. But it doesn't hurt you as a landlord to call and say, hey, um, Mr. Jones uh, with Section 8, you know, we rented this house to Bob over here and Bob's having some struggles keeping the rules. Do you have a relationship with Bob? Can you reach out to him? Because, you know, we like that the rent's coming in. We get along with Bob fine, mm -hmm. but he's kind of struggling to follow some of the rules. Can you help me out with this? Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. Okay. But it does have at least another point of contact where maybe you and Section 8 can work with Bob to maybe get within the rules because it doesn't do us any good to kick Bob out of his house. Right. We have the money stopped coming. Bob doesn't have a place to live. We're now putting the burden on that government worker to find Bob a new place. Right. So there is a little bit of cover there sometimes. Okay. And then, uh, and I don't know if this is true or not, Jake, but um, are they giving out bonuses for landlords to, to rent to Section 8? Is that true? Yeah, lately they have because of, as we spoke earlier, there's a big squeeze going on that sometimes the voucher recipients are struggling to find rentals. And so the government has started um, giving bonus programs, and I believe they started, call it um, maybe middle of 2021, there were some bonus programs coming on. I think they started at 500. So if you, a landlord, um, moved in a Section 8 tenant, then the Section 8 office would pay you a bonus of $500 as a landlord, which okay. is great. That bonus then went to 1000 and I believe at some point it went to 2000 Okay. for the bonus. So... Imagine you're renting, you know, in, in our case, we were renting one bedroom, one bath apartments. They were between 800 and 900 a month. These are in central Phoenix. And you're getting $900 a month in rent and the government's paying you $2,000. you are getting an extra two months rent. Right. Uh, to and that's that up in. and over a deposit too. No, that's in addition to the yeah. security deposit. That's straight bonus. And yeah, we, we moved some Section 8 tenants in and we earned those bonuses and they paid them. So it was worth it. And they were publicizing them too because... The struggle they have, remember, there's this whole organization over there at the Section 8 office, the, the Department of Housing, trying to get these families into housing. So your name's Dave, and you may have letters 
A through C. So everybody that has a voucher with a last name that ends and starts in A through C, those are your people. You have a stack of files on your desk. You're trying to find them housing. Well, every week your boss is like, Dave, your stack hasn't gotten any smaller. What's your problem? There's no houses out there, boss. Well, eventually the bosses are like, okay, there aren't really any housing. What can we do? There was some federal money, if I was to guess. It was probably CARES Act money. I don't know. But there was some federal money set aside. Okay, hey, Mr. Landlord, what do landlords know about? Money. Rent. Money. money. Exactly. Yeah. So, hey, how about we give you a bonus of 2000 bucks right. to move these tenants in? And it isn't like landlords were avoiding them. In many cases, the rent that Section 8 was willing to pay was lower than market. In many cases, landlords didn't even know it existed. Right. I mean, a new guy renting houses, he may have been told by his buddy, buddy, stay away from Section 8. You do not want to do Section <laughs> 8, man. Stay away from that. And that so now he's, wait, they're paying me a $2,000 bonus. That's two extra months rent. I'll just be a better manager and let's right. do it. Let's try it. Right. Is there any bonus to maintaining these people year after year? Is it a one-time move-in bonus? No, they just keep, the, if, if you're doing it correctly, they just keep paying. Okay. So no, I, 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 I've, I've never thought of that, but maybe you should call your congressman and say, hey, Maybe a $2,000 spiff once a year. Once a year. That'll get the landlords on board. Yeah. Anyways, I, I think that system can be played with a little bit if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, hey, let's, not that I love to go negative, but let's let's paint the picture for the person right now that says, hey, I'll never do Section 8, and this is why. Um, you know, what are some things out there that you, that the difference between the homes that aren't, that you manage that aren't Section 8 and, and Section 8, what causes you some grief? Okay. Uh, it doesn't cause me grief because we've done it enough now that we get it. But I'm okay. just thinking, okay, you're a new guy. Maybe you have one rental house. Maybe you get a little portfolio. Maybe you get four or five, okay. right? And you're thinking, hey, I'm a big deal. And the truth is, as a landlord, you should know what Section 8 is. When I hear landlords say, oh, I would never touch that. And I ask them what they know about it. Nothing. Right. You got to know what's out there. So um, the number one thing they're going to see is paperwork. When you have a tenant call you, they say, hey, Dave, this is Bill. I have a Section 8 voucher. May I pretty please rent your house? Yeah, no problem. Let's get it going. The first thing Bill's going to send you is a nine-page application that you as the landlord have to complete and have Bill sign and get that back to the Section 8 office. Okay. Now, no big deal, right? Might be a little frustrating we, for some of our <laughs> landlords now, thinking I'm the one qualifying for my house. You fill out the application, not me. And you have to put in there when your house was built, how big it is, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, all of this Smoke stuff. Smoke alarms. Yeah, and then you got to get and then yeah. you got to get Bill to sign it. Okay. Now, the strange thing is tracking Bill down and getting him to sign this document before you even rent to him is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And you're thinking, buddy. I can't want it more than you do. Right. And so right. there is paperwork. That is no joke when somebody says, oh, my gosh, there's a ton of paperwork with Section 8. That's true. It is. Okay. So that's the one thing you have to worry about. Um, after you do that initial thing, once a year, they're going to come out and do an inspection. It's called a housing quality inspection, okay. which is good for you and the tenant. We yeah. have one scheduled in a couple weeks. Um, and basically the Section 8 guy comes out and says, hey, your outlets don't look like they're grounded properly. Hey, this door doesn't close right, which is fine. We want our properties to be in good condition. We don't right. rent or rent any junkers. But also, when the tenant moved in, this thing was brand new. So you just make a list and you hand it to the tenant. And you say, hey, buddy, you got 10 days to complete these things because okay. the inspector's coming back. And so, okay. so that doesn't fall solely on you if you can prove that they've cr created the problem. Well, and it allows you as a landlord to have some third-party inspector come in 
Now, if your place is a piece of junk and you got bare wires hanging out, then the inspector's going to get after you about it. If the tenant is causing damage, it's an easy way for you as the landlord to say, hey, Mr. Tenant, man, your inspector's here from Section A. This is your guy. And he's saying all this stuff's broken. We need you to work on that. Now, side note quickly, before Section 8 lets the tenant move in, they're going to come do an inspection. Now, is that a pro or a con? Depends on your how you want to well, do business. Well, it's a pro to me if they're going to come back in a year. Yeah, they are. You know, let's document it right now yep. before I give it to them than to document it the first time a year later. So, Agreed. Yeah. So that's one of the cons is there is a lot of paperwork. Um, tenant screening can be a little tough. I mean, obviously, that's your expertise. And, you know, we've been happy with your services for many, many years. You know, credit, criminal background checks. The struggle sometimes when screening tenants coming out of Section 8, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes Section 8 families don't move as much as other families because it's expensive to move. And if you call the old landlord and say, hey, Susie, this is Jake. I've got a new uh, tenant. They have a Section 8 voucher. Um, What can you tell me about them? You know, within the law, well, they Mm -hmm. paid the rent every month. Well, of course they paid the rent every month. The government (laughs) wrote you a check every month. Oh, no, they were great. We really liked them. We got along great. I'm sorry to see them go. Well, in many cases, you're not going to get the full story from the landlord because they want that tenant to move because maybe they've had struggles with them. Yeah. And so you have to do a little bit more detective work. Um, And one of my friends that's been in the landlord business for a long time said, what you should do with the Section 8 tenant is just ask them if you can come look at their current house, the one they're living in now. He said, if you hear a click on the end of the phone, that means that you have dodged a bullet. If they say, yeah, you're welcome to come over, then that's an effective screening tool. I've never had the guts to do that. But if you go look at their current house or just go drive by it and it's, you know, beat up or looks bad from the outside or they're parking their cars in the lawn, then it's possible you don't want to rent to them. So, uh, you know, we have federal fair housing laws, which I agree with and I uphold. I'm a hundred percent okay with them. However, you know, within those laws, there are ways that you can do due diligence. Yeah. Yeah, And make sure that you're looking out for your assets. And so maybe there's a little more of that that needs to happen on, on some families that, that have section eight vouchers, but not everybody. In the opening here, you talked about people who didn't like Section 8 because they're going to damage my home and they're going to beat up my home. And what, what, tell me specifically what, um, what do you find that gets damaged or doesn't get damaged or is that just a big fallacy? Our experience has been that a family that's, that's using a Section 8 voucher is no more or less likely to beat up your house than someone without a voucher. Okay. Let me say that again. Our experience has been that someone that has a Section 8 voucher or a, or a USDA voucher or a HUD VASH voucher is no more or less likely to beat up your house than someone without a voucher. Okay. Um, so when people say, oh, I had a Section 8 house and it just got hammered, it's, it's possible that happened, but it's not true that that's across the board. It just has not been our experience. We have folks that are semiconductor engineers here in Phoenix, big semiconductor business, We've had semiconductor engineers beat the heck out of our yeah, houses. And, I've had, and I don't do Section 8, and I've had houses. You yeah, know, you've had houses beat up. Beat up. Bit, so. and, and we've had, and we have um, Section 8 tenants right now who, if I walked into their house this moment, it would be neat as a pin. And so I, um, I understand that that fallacy is out there. Mm-hmm. It has not been my experience. Now, if you're being a good landlord, perform regular inspections. Keep your eyes on. Keep your ears on. Drive by your properties if you can. If you see a bucket next to the front door in your house. (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) There's only a few things that can be in that bucket. And I'm going to tell you that usually it's a bucket half full of sand and the other half is full of cigarette butts. Now, there is nothing discriminatory about driving by your own property and saying, hey, there's a bucket out front. Why is there a bucket there? And a lawn chair next to the front door. 
that's because folks are sitting out there having a cigarette. Now, you get to pick if you want to allow smoking in your properties or not. 100% okay with me if you want to. It means nothing to me. Right. However, um, you got to be a good landlord. Right. But folks that have Section 8 vouchers are no more or less likely to smoke than folks who don't. And so my experience has been your houses don't get beat up because they're Section 8 voucher. So maybe a fallacy of mine, but one, one thing that I've heard from, from people who do Section 8, Jake, other than you, right? I like how this like has turned into a therapy session yeah, this is for a you. I, I'm, I've got a property that i to get I'm comfortable <laughs> with Section 8. I've got a property that I'm thinking about <laughs> going down this road with. And maybe you should just, just hire me to manage it, uh, and then you can blame me. It totally. Um, hey, I see that. Um, I wonder if, if, if mom qualifies for Section 8, and then all the kids move in that have criminal history or have some kind of issue because they have nowhere else Never to Never happens. Come on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's my biggest fear is who is in that property. Like, you know, because mama loves her kids. Yep. And and I'm not trying to, assume, uh, you know, make this assumption that every mom has kids with criminal history. I'm, I'm not even going. I'm just saying I just feel like the government sometimes pays the rent and it becomes this free place for people to go and live and hang out. Right. Do you have any experience with that? Yes. And that that happens with, I'm going to say in my experience, that happens a little more with Section 8. Because remember, you have a family member who has a voucher, mom or dad, or somebody 18 or older has a voucher. Mm-hmm. And the government's paying a portion, of, a portion of their rent. Sometimes the government's paying 100% of it. Sometimes the government's paying 50% of it. But the government's paying some of the rent. And so the person is living at a discounted rent. Well, if you can find a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a family member that has free rent and there's an extra space for you to sleep, then, man, why wouldn't you go there and sleep? Right, right. And so for us, it's, I'm going to say, a little more common than a regular house to have an extra family member move in. But again, effective management, if you're doing your job, you're going to find out. Because folks that are making bad decisions, maybe, you know, in violation of some of your lease terms, they're not going to do a very good job of hiding it. And if they do do a good job of hiding it, you're never going to know. And it's not going to hurt your investment. It's not going to hurt you as a landlord. But what typically happens is, and I'll be honest, here's the way we always find it, is we'll get a call on a Saturday. Hey, this is Susie. I live at 123 Elm Street. Our toilet's going bonkers. You got to get somebody over here right away. Who are you? Wait, <laughs> Susie at one, two, three. That's Daryl's house. He right. lives there alone. <laughs> so sure enough, I look on my phone. I look at my property management software. Yeah, Daryl's, here's his application. Single man. He drives a blue Chevy. Mm-hmm. So we just call and say, hey, Daryl, this person named Susie. Did I get her name right, Susie? <laughs> this person named Susie called and said, your toilet's overflowing. What's going on? Oh, yeah, that's my girlfriend. She's the love of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, she's not allowed to live there, but inevitably Susie has a dog. Susie likes to smoke right. the marijuana, <laughs> and Susie doesn't do a very good job of hiding her right. presence at the house. And so Susie doesn't work for that voucher. Doesn't yeah. quite understand that. And voucher. so it it does happen, but again, effective management. You have to be proactive as a landlord and send them a letter that says, "Hey, Susie," or "Hey, Daryl." In accordance with the terms of your lease, you have an unauthorized occupant. Need to fix in Arizona. You get 10 days to fix it. Send a copy to them. Send a copy to Section 8. We actually use one of your companies to do that service. And so for us, it's pretty easy. But you have to have the guts and the presence of mind and take the time to manage your property properly. And you can get around that. But in answer to your question, yeah, you'll have all sorts of in-laws and outlaws moving in. Thanks for listening to part one of this podcast and learning more about Section 8 housing. Please come back and listen to part two 
where Jake shares even more insight from his vast experience in this unique arena.